purposes of civil liability, the torturer has become, like the pirate and slave trader before him, an enemy of all mankind. But we've also seen uh, challenges as uh, two food crisis, the biggest financial and economic crisis since the 1930s, and the WTO has remained solid in the midst of this tempest. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Alien Tort Statute should not afford a cause of action to address the extraterritorial conduct of a foreign corporation. 751 Europeans have been elected to directly represent citizens from 28 different nations in all their diversities, with all their differences, with all their different outlooks on lives. But you all come together here. Welcome to this No Must Fun episode. I'm Joseph Arandris, a global law student at Tilburg University in the Netherlands. And I'm here with a group of colleagues I'm in the Law School's Global League Summer School program last summer in Spain. Hello, everybody. I am Valentina Gonzalez, a law student of the Universidad de los Andes in Colombia. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have enjoyed doing it. Hello, everyone. My name is Malcolm Yamembe. I am a law student at the University of Pretoria, and I hope you enjoy this episode and learn as much as we did from it. Hi everyone, I'm Babu Guji, a law student at King's College London. I'm very excited to share our research with you. During our Climate Change, Justice and Courts course, we researched the recent case, Future Generations vs. the Ministry of Environment and Others, from the Supreme Court of Colombia. This No Must Fun episode will explain this case and its contribution to global climate change jurisprudence. On April 5, 2018, Colombia's Supreme Court made a pivotal decision in the Future Generations case for our planet. A group of young plaintiffs filed a claim against the Colombian government and several corporations to invoke their fundamental rights. The state's failure to reduce deforestation in Amazonia and greenhouse gas emissions threatened the plaintiffs' right to a healthy environment, life, health, food, and water. The court ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. Hi everyone, my name is Valentina Rosso. I'm an economist and a researcher at the Center for Law, Justice and Society de Justicia, a Colombian think tank and the one who promoted the lawsuit uh, about climate change and future generations in Colombia. As a plaintiff, why did you and de Justicia initiate this case? And how did the plaintiffs come together to form the collective initially? We had this concern about the free station. We had this bad news that the deforestation rate was growing from one year to another. And we decided to take some action. So one colleague and I started talking to other colleagues here at the Justicia, telling them about this, this idea based actually on the Juliana case in the U.S. And we found out that many of, of us had small brothers or sisters or even cousins 
who were aware of the importance of the environment and who were doing everyday actions to to have a smaller impact um, concerning climate change. In total, there there are 25 young people and children. We are between the ages of seven and 26. I'm the older one. I was the one being 26 years old. And well, we we wanted people from all over the country because the message that we wanted to send it was that it didn't matter if you lived in the Amazon or in another part of the country because whatever happened there had a consequence for for all the humankind. So we made a first workshop here in Bogota. All of the plaintiffs came here and it was on a weekend. So the whole Saturday we worked on on understanding how climate change could potentially affect each of us. And we had some other activities just to get to know each other better and to to understand what this loss was going to be and the impact it could have in in all of our lives. The loss was um, written by a lawyer. Her name is Gabriela Slava. She also works here and by me. So it was a mix between the legal arguments and the economical and factual arguments. Hello everyone, my name is Jimena Sierra. I am a PhD and a lecturer in law at Rosario University in Colombia. In my doctoral research, I analyze the current mining legal framework in Colombia from a post-colonial perspective. I focus on the role of the constitutional state and its relationship with our colonial past, in particular through the developmental policies that are strongly connected to the so-called extractive industries in Colombia. That's excellent, Jimena. We'll certainly discuss this post-colonial perspective of the case in a bit. To introduce us to the Colombian legal system, though, first, can you explain any general constitutional confidence of the future generation's case? Firstly, I want to mention that in this case, the legal action filed by the plaintiff is an action called the Acción to Tutela or the Ruid of Tutela, which actually was established in the Constitution of 1991 and is considered as the main legal instrument to claim the protection of fundamental rights. The aim of this legal action is that all the people in Colombia can access directly to justice and in particular to the constitutional judges to claim, to claim the protection of their fundamental rights. On this regard, I want to highlight that this legal action is one of the most symbolic instruments of the Constitution of 1991, which was in turn enacted as a part of the process of constitutionalization of legal systems that took place at the end of the 20th century. And as a consequence of that process, Colombia and other Latin American countries 
enacted new constitutions according to the global idea of democratization after 1989. In this context, the Constitution of Colombia of 1991 acknowledged a really generous Bill of Rights and some legal actions in order to guarantee the access to justice. In this sense, the writ of tutela is quite important for the legal system in Colombia because this legal action enables any person whose fundamental rights are being threatened or violated to request a judge protect that person's fundamental rights. Moreover, people may file the claims informally without an attorney, and the judge has the obligation to give priority attention to the request over other type of claims. Furthermore, regarding to the criteria to define what is a fundamental right, on one hand, there is a formal criteria which refers to the rights that are recognized formally in the text of the Constitution of 1991. And on the other hand, there are some material or substantial criteria to define what is a fundamental right. For instance, the Article 94 of the Constitution of 1991 regarding to the so-called unknown rights allows to acknowledge the right to water as a fundamental right. Also, this right is now formally recognized as a fundamental right in the text of the Constitution. It can be protected like that according to the Article 94. So, the writ of tutela was the legal action filed by 25 children and young people to claim the protection of the fundamental rights to life to a healthy environment, to water, and to food because of the increasing of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. The Colombian government passed law to reduce deforestation and greenhouse gas emissions at the national and international levels. Chapter 6 of Law 1753, for example, provides measures the government and ministries must take to combat deforestation and reduce emissions, with a general goal to develop a more sustainable Colombia. The government also committed to measures in the Paris Agreement to reduce the net rate of deforestation to zero in the Colombian Amazon by 2020. And despite these legal obligations, the government increased deforestation and thereby generated more emissions. In turn, the plaintiffs used the tutela to argue that not meeting these measures had had severe consequences on the environment and their living conditions, ultimately infringing their rights. In addition to recognizing that human rights are substantially linked to and determined by the environment, the Supreme Court went further to recognize that the Colombian Amazon rainforest itself was entitled to rights, protection, conservation, maintenance, and restoration. The rights of the nature are increasingly being recognized around the globe. In Colombia, we have a river in the Pacific Ocean that is very important to the local communities. And that was the first time that the court gave rights to to a nature entity. This was the second one. And after that, there's another one, which is a paramo, which is a special ecosystem in the Andean region. 
So it was great because it gave rights to the Amazon, but it also started this conversation about the rights of nature. And it's a conversation that we hadn't had in Colombia yet. Among the implications of the acknowledgement of the Amazon rainforest as a subject of rights, I want to highlight the duty of the Colombian authorities to protect the Amazon itself as an autonomous entity. It means that it is now necessary to demonstrate that the damages caused by the deforestation actions are connected to other rights threatened or violated, like the human rights of people living in that area. It also means that any person can claim the protection of the Amazon rainforest and of its rights as an autonomous entity. Amina, do you think such a recognition of nature as having rights is a move toward decolonization? Analyzing this judgment from a post-colonial perspective is quite interesting, and specifically an statement of the sentence in which the court states that the deforestation in this area is a consequence of the irrational colonization of environment. This statement of the Supreme Court of Justice is quite significant because it's questioning some actions like deforestation and large-scale extractive projects as an expression of coloniality, which actually is an idea from the decolonial thinking that suggests the continuity of colonial legacies and the reproduction of neo-colonial practices. And this is why nature in Global South is still considered as a space that can be explored, devastated, and reconfigured according to the needs of the global economy, which is mainly based on destruction of natural resources. Furthermore, the so-called extractive industries and the rationality of accumulation and cornering of natural resources also can be considered as an expression of coloniality because the understanding of nature as a space for extraction still remains in our days, although this rationality comes from colonial times. But the new forms of exploitation and cornering of natural resources, such as the deforestation for the building of an open pit mining project or for a single crop farming project, affect entire ecosystems. In this sense, nature is still essential for neo-colonial projects on behalf of development and on behalf of the idea of modernity. From this point of view, this judgment represents a significant attempt from an actor embedded in a liberal system like the Supreme Court of Justice to decolonize our relationship with nature. And Valentina, how do you see this judgment as influencing human relations to Amazonia? We really need to understand that we are part of, of an ecosystem that the humankind should live along with the animals and with the plants. And we should learn from our ancestors, learn from the indigenous people, how to live in equilibrium and how to be able to give a place to the future generations where it's not impossible to, to live or to get food or even water. So yeah, we need to take a step back and to learn from, from the others, from the indigenous 
how we can manage our sustainability without damaging the, the future for, for our children or grandchildren. What implications does this recognition of Amazonia's rights have on constitutional law in Colombia in comparison to, say, um, the constitutions of Ecuador or Bolivia? In my opinion, the Constitution of Colombia of 1991 is more anthropocentric, while the Constitution of Ecuador and the Constitution of Bolivia are more ecocentric. And these last constitutions also take more seriously the rights of indigenous people their rationality, and the relationship of these peoples with nature. For this reason, I consider that the judgment of the Supreme Court of Justice that acknowledges the Amazon rainforest as a subject of rights was more unexpected and maybe more shocking in Colombia. And all the actors involved in the sentence, even the, even the Colombian authorities, are facing now the challenge of the implementation of this judgment. They also are figuring out how the judgment should be interpreted because the Constitution of 1991 do not acknowledge in an explicit way nature as a subject of rights. It is different in the Constitution of Ecuador, which recognizes explicitly nature as a subject of rights, and therefore in Ecuador any person can claim the protection of nature as an autonomous entity. In a similar way, the Constitution of Bolivia recognizes nature as a principle, which in turn is connected to the, to the idea of buen vivir, or good living, that actually is a way of life of indigenous peoples from the Indian area. And according to this idea, nature is considered as a living being and as a source of other ways of life. In this sense, I consider that the judgment of the Supreme Court of Justice challenges both the anthropocentric view of the Constitution of 1991 and the idea of modern constitutionalism according to which only human beings can be considered as a subject of rights. Moreover, this sentence also challenges the idea that suggests that human beings are separated from nature and by opposite, bring to the fore the idea that human beings are part of nature and that it is an autonomous entity and a living being. It also implies to think in some principles like reciprocity, relationality, and balance, and to rethink the binary relationship between human beings and nature. And finally, it also makes to question the modern and Western notion of development based on destruction of natural resources. In recognizing climate change and the government's failure to reduce deforestation and comply with national and international law, the court made five mandatory injections. The first two were orders for the president the Ministry of Environment and Sustainable Development, and the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development. First, they had to form action plans to decrease deforestation and tackle climate change impacts within four months of the ruling. Second, they had to construct an intergenerational pact 
for the life of the Colombia Amazon, with the aims to reduce deforestation to zero and carbon emission within five months. These two orders were to be executed in coordination with the plaintiffs, the affected communities, and the interested public. Third, the court ordered municipalities in Amazonia to update their land management plans within five months and include an action plan to reduce deforestation to zero. Fourth, corporations working in Amazonia were ordered to create an action plan to counter policy, judicial, or administration measures and IDEAM reported for deforestation problems within five months. And lastly, the defendants had to increase actions to mitigate deforestation within 48 hours of the judgment. Some of these orders had quite quick deadlines. How has the government acted upon these orders since the ruling last year? The president signed an order saying that the Ministry of Environment was the one who was going to, to put everything in place and to coordinate the orders. So we've been collaborating with them. The minister had five different workshops in the Amazon to talk to local people, to indigenous people, to Afro-Colombian people to understand why they were deforestating, what needs they have, and what would they require to, to stop deforestation or for deforestation to be stopped there because it's not just small people deforestating, there are also some big business behind it. And we were part of all of the workshops. Um, four of the plaintiffs went to every of them and that gave us the ability to understand the, the issue in a better way. And after that, the government has fulfilled with, the, with two of the orders. So it already gave the action plan to the Constitutional Court on how they were going to stop deforestation. And it's very important to clarify that they had a plan before the lawsuit. So this new plan is a mixture before, between what they learned in the workshops and the plan that they had before. And we also have to make an intergenerational pact. So the government also gave some inputs on that, but it asked for more time because when we went to the workshops, they were in the Amazon, but in big cities in the Amazon. So people asked them to go further into, into smaller cities to be able to have like a real comprehension. So they ask more time on that. We think that this has been effective in a way that, <laughs> thanks to the communications again, this, this was a big case in Colombia. And it was all over the news and um, the people in communications have been very interested in following the case up. So the media has this news every maybe two months or three months saying what happened after we won. So yeah, they, they have a lot of pressure from the news and they have been showing some, well, some actions to fulfill the, the orders. But of course, deforestation is maybe the biggest environmental issue now in the country. So 
we will need more strategies and and more time the government just created a special committee to fight against deforestation so we hope that this committee that includes the ministry of environment of agriculture the president but also the special forces the police and some investigators will be able to or to give us a smaller deforestation rate next year judgment has immense value within the growing way of climate change litigation, especially for future generations. However, many similar cases, such as Juliana v. USA, have not been so successful yet. As a plaintiff, what strategies did you find most effective in this case? The biggest challenge was that this was a very new topic in Colombia. So we understood that this was going to be maybe weird for the judges and it was hard to make them understand that if some people are taking some trees off in the Amazon that has some repercussions for us in Bogota or even, I don't know, in Germany, in every country. So we needed to find a way to tell a story to the judges that included all the scientific bases that were strong but that were easy for them to to understand because a judge has to deal with every kinds of issues and they are not not scientists they are not experts on environmental stuff so our major challenge was to be translators we needed to translate the issue and to make it easy for everyone to understand, starting from a judge, but also to, to a kid and to a, a normal person. And what about Colombia's monitoring system for deforestation? We were able to use the information from the government in the lawsuit. So using official information was a very important part of our strategy because we were suing the government with its information. So it would be really hard for for the government to say what you're saying is not true. So Colombia already has this great system. And we think that after after the lawsuit, the, the topic was even more important. We had other strategies. We when we do a lawsuit, it also comes with a communication strategy. So we are very careful in doing some economy, some educational um, strategies also, because we want every person to get involved in, in the topics that, that we study. So we had videos explaining what deforestation was, what the carbon emissions were, what climate change is, and also how Colombia was going to be in 50 years and the country we were going to, to live in. And we also had a strategy regarding the, well, the profiles of all of us. So who were the plaintiffs? Um, and we wanted to show that we were normal persons. So 
we want to send this message that you didn't need to be a minister or a famous person to be able to to make a change or to even have your voice heard. The media is always very important and, and it's a way to get supporters and also to sensibilize people about the issues. Regarding climate change, it's, it's really hard for people to understand that the consequences will be in the future, right? Because if you're not suffering them now, you don't have an incentive to, to change your behavior. So it's very important to have the media at your side and to be able to have them also as translators because their job is to talk to, to people um, so they are able to communicate. This, this sounds weird, but yeah, the communications role is to communicate in a better way. The legal hard stuff that you're trying to say and also the, the scientific one. The media has the power to take the messages to every part of the world and to inspire people to take similar actions, which was our case with, with the Juliana case in the U.S. We found out about it and we, we thought, well, if it's happening in the U.S., why can't we do the same here in, in Colombia? To conclude, do you have any general advice for people and kids in different regions of the world seeking to take similar legal actions against climate change and climate impacting policies? We really have to encourage the young generations to take action. We were a group of 25 people between the ages of 7 and 26, and we have children who are still in elementary school that were empowered enough to sue the president. And it was a long process. It took us a year to, to get this lawsuit done. And of course, we have some moments, or we had some moments where we thought this is too much and this is for nothing because we are not going to win. And it's long, it's exhausting, but you have to be able to find other cases and to find inspiration to keep the process while it's happening. And you have to find these role models, these seven-year-old who, who is standing in front of the president and telling him, you know, I want to live in a world where, where I can drink water. So my advice would be to don't be afraid to lose and to take action because, well, the results can be amazing as in our case. Thank you for listening. Nomos Phone is a production by law students in Tilburg University's Global Law Program. This episode was produced by Valentina Gonzalez, Naoki Mamamembe, Paul Gushuk, and me, Joseph Arantris. We would like to thank Valentina Rosso and Jimena Sierra for speaking with us. Drs. Philip Payment, Melanie Mercott, Emily Barrett, and the Law Schools Global League for their support in our research, and Tilburg University and the entire Nomos Phone team. Check out our website on www.nomosphone.com or the Nomos Phone SoundCloud page. Until next time.
somos muy ecológicos, aspiraciones pacíficas, protegemos los árboles para las generaciones. It was not an easy duel. Rigid laws seem to be cruel. Judges sided with our cause to tell us when Colombian lost. Think that's it? Well, think again. Environment laws begin their reign. Your human rights are no more. Now our nature has no flaw. Somos muy ecológicos, aspiraciones pacíficas, protegemos los árboles para las generaciones. Amazon forest full of rights, protect, conserve, maintain its site, and to endure its restoration, zero net deforestation. Our mission's not yet over, we had to start not LA order, cause of us now we're on a roll, so climate change that is our goal. Somos muy ecológicos, aspiraciones pacíficas, protegemos los árboles para las generaciones.